I'm going to be reading in Hosea chapter 14. We'll read the first four verses. And verse 4 will be our text. If you'd like to turn there and read with us. Hosea chapter 14 verses 1 through 4. The reading is, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord, say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless find mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. And we're going to title the message from verse 4, the phrase, I will love them freely. And we might shorten that to freely loved without doing any damage to the context. The first three verses are a petition that we would love for to hear people say, to petition God for mercy and for forgiveness. And verse 4 and thereafter the verses are God's response to those who come unto Him or return unto Him as we were discussing in Sunday school. But our subject again is loved freely. I've loved them freely or freely loved. And at the beginning I want us to distinguish in our minds grammatically that our subject is not free love. Okay? It's loved freely or freely loved. And just a little brief grammar lesson here. Free love is an adjective, free, complementing a noun, love. That's not what we're talking about. There is such a thing as free love that has been around a long, long time and it's still there today. That's not our subject. That is to be condemned. <coughs> In fact, that term free love is just a phrase that would incorporate fornication is all it amounts to. And it's kind of goes back in its popularity to the hippie days, doesn't it? Free love, you know. There's no obligation, there's no commitment, you're just free to do whatever, whenever, wherever, however you want to. And we can't just point back and say, well, that was the hippies and nobody does that today because today the liberals and others who are misguided and deceived have these signs and they're all over Colorado and I've showed you a picture of some of them about the ungodly liberal beliefs and on there it says in rainbow colors, love is love. That means you can love anything any object, anything, any way, anyhow, any way you want to, love is love. That's sad, isn't it? I, I mention it because I want to remind you of just how horrible that is. The Bible condemns loving certain things, certain objects, animals, peoples in certain ways. That's not our subject. But when we come to love them freely or freely loved again going back to a grammar lesson loved is a verb God loved and the complementary word is freely and it's not an adjective it's an adverb so 
free love, an adjective and a noun, is telling us about a type or a kind. But love freely or freely love is telling us how. And that's what I want to try to focus our attention on today for a while is how God loves. The text says He loves freely. And I'm going to say to you right off, not to shock you, but you don't know what that means and neither do I. Freely loved. The subject is wonderful. God's love. It is an incomprehensible subject. It is an infinite subject. It's too big for you or me or all of us to wrap our minds around. The finite trying to comprehend the infinite. But that's always what we face when we come to God, His Word, His attributes, His person and His being, isn't it? But don't you love to go there? I mean, is there anything greater to think about or meditate on than God and all of His perfect attributes? I always feel so humbled and unqualified to even make comments about the love of God because I feel I know so little about it. I can speak of it from experience because I've experienced it, but to try to give you the knowledge of it is beyond me. But we have some good material we can relay to you because God tells us in His Word about His love, don't He? So we will feebly approach the subject today. To do so is literally like I heard one time about a mule that was jumped off a boat and needed to swim about a mile to get to the shore. Instead of going to the shore, it turned around and started swimming back north toward Missouri. To address this subject's about like that mule just to go take off swimming in the ocean. And the further you get away from the land and out of sight of anything there, the more vast the ocean is going to become. And I'm sure you, like I, when we contemplate the love of God, eventually become like the mule. The mule drowned, but we just become immersed, do we not, in all that God's love is, has done, is doing, and is yet to do. The subject is vast, it is enormous, it is overwhelming, but what a blessing to immerse ourselves in it. I guess the other extreme would be going to space, <laughs> which seemingly like the ocean has no end, doesn't it? Well, you know, we sing a song sometimes. I didn't write the lyrics down, but the love of God. And I can't remember it exactly, but it says something about to the extent, you remember it probably better than I do, that if the sky was, uh, was what the uh, paper will say, and every man on earth was a scribe, and the ocean was the ink that you could write and write and write forever about the love of God and you still wouldn't get it all down. That's, that's again, the subject we're dealing with. But love them freely. And this subject is difficult for us because as I said, our very sinfulness prevents us from knowing what it means to freely love. We don't have the knowledge of it, and we certainly don't have the experience of it, even though we are the beneficiaries of it. We have not experienced loving someone else freely 
or being loved of another human being freely. And when I say that, I'm talking about in the purest sense of the definition, freely. But the Bible says this is how and the way that God loves is freely. So the term is exclusive to him and him alone since he's the only one that can do this. Now, let me say this to you. It's going to get easier for us when we get rid of this and get a new one. When we are glorified, then we can experience what we're talking about today in a whole different way. But free love, again, is something that is perverted in the world and it has nothing to do with God loving freely in that respect. So again, the, you know, again, not going there, but the whole homosexual movement's about free love, you see. That's a perversion. That's nothing to do with what we're talking about. So how do we even approach this subject? Well, that was my difficulty. I wanted to preach on this, and I think, how, how in the world always the love of God? How do, you, how do you approach it? And how do you put it in one message, what you're trying to say and what have you? And the only way I know to do that is that we must contrast love as we know it with God's love. So let's take the negative first, what God's love is not, but what love is as we know it. Love as we know it is what? Well, first of all, again, it's like everything else, it's corrupted, it's impure. It's like that snow we were talking about. But what is love? When we say we love something, you know, it's such a general word, we hear it so often, and it's so meaningless and empty and void in so many cases it depends on who's saying it to whom they're saying it you know and and it's just it can go from a to z can it not well when you're talking about loving something or someone you're talking about some time of strong some kind of strong desire okay if you love it a little, there's a desire there of some kind. If you love it a lot, whether it's apple pie or whatever it may be, you, you know, another human being, there is a strong desire there. And attached with desire is some form of affection or compassion. So that's about the best way I know to deal with it. But it is a feeling involving both affection and desire. That's love, right? Whether you love sunshine, you love your wife, you love your husband, whatever. And love as we know it by its very nature must have an object, mustn't it? I mean, can you love and not have... It becomes meaningless, doesn't it? No, we always say, well, I love and... Something must follow after or else it's just, you might as well not say it, right? So love always has an object. And I want to say to you that the first object or our first love for all of us as sinners is self. Yeah, when we're born little babies, we're little self-born narcissists. It's in all of us. Now, it develops differently depending on our upbringing and parenting and all kinds of other things. But, you know, the bottom line is every child's a born narcissist. It wants to be fed on time, changed on time, sleep on time, happy on I mean, why do, why do little babies cry? <laughs> they're little narcissists, you know. We love little babies, but they're little sinners. It's their nature. 
to pitch a fit when something ain't like they want it. And of course, if we don't deal with that when they're children, then they grow up to be adults the same way. And we got a lot of them running around. That's another subject. But bottom line is, we are born narcissists. So we're all to some degree lovers of self. The Bible addresses that, doesn't it? Sin has made human beings lovers of self first and foremost. Our first love is old number one, right here by nature. Then we move on to other things that we love. But, uh, you know, that don't mean we go around saying, man, I just love me. I just love how I look. I love, you know. No, it's usually underlying there. You know, it, it's the pride. It's the ego. It's just laying there like a volcano. You know, it just bubbles softly and warmly underneath there. You know, but it's there. It's there. And another thing about love as we know it is, there's always a reason for what we love. Is that not true? If you love something, that something is an object, and there's a reason you love it. If there's not a reason, then you don't love it. I mean, you know, this, this is just simple. And in that respect, think about it. You love it because. Okay? So it is adding something to you, isn't it? Or you wouldn't love it. If it doesn't satisfy or gratify, you're not going to love it, you're going to hate it. So we love things, the object, for a reason, meaning it's giving or adding to us something. Is that not true? Again, based on selfishness or a sinful motive. Now, the reasons we love certain things, one would be an attraction. I mean, you don't love things that, to use a blunt phrase, turn you off. You love things that you either find pretty or beautiful or that taste good or that feel good or whatever, right? But there, there's a natural attraction to love something or to love that object. In fact, I think that was very clear, kind of set forth in principle in the book of Genesis 3 and 6, you know, when Eve decided to take of the fruit. It says in verse 6, Genesis 3, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, so there's a look, that it was pleasant to the eyes, following up on that, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. In other words, you're going to get something from it. She took the fruit thereof, did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, it didn't say she loved it, but you see the natural attraction there. And without the attraction, there would have not been the temptation. And without not thinking it's going to benefit you or make you better or do something for you that you have not experienced, then you wouldn't participate in it. So, literally, we could put it there in Genesis 3, 6, the same thing that we're all affected with in this manner of attraction or, or temptation or loving something or someone. It is an anticipated gratification. And Eve was anticipating a gratification 
or a satisfaction or a happiness that she did not have. So that's exactly why a lot of people love a lot of things is to satisfy those things or to anticipate being gratified in some way. That's why you love it. Now, again, it's all due to selfishness. Again, I say, I've said this so many times at weddings, and I literally hope I never have to say it again because it just goes in people's ears and right out the other. But every wedding I've tried to do, I have tried to distinguish to those present and especially to the bride and groom, you need to have the right kind of love. And there's only one kind that will work, and that's the kind that's in here. That's the kind that's defined by God, not by human beings. I'm discussing to you the human love. And human love, you can sum it up in one thing. You know what it does? It's a taker. It is a taker. Love, as we know it, due to sin, is out to take, not to give. Because we are sinners by nature, we are selfish by nature, we are looking for self-gratification, self-fulfillment, self-happiness, and whatever, so we will love anything or whatever that will do that for us, and that is what love is to the world. That's a very sad thing, is it not, what I've just described, but... We know it to be true because we've been there. You were lost once, weren't you? You love things then you don't love now and for different reasons, right? So have I been accurate? But that's the main and the saddest thing. The love that the world knows, the love that sinners knows, it's taker. It's always taken. It's reaching out to get, to get. Well, another sad thing about love as we know it is, it's unstable, isn't it? Boy, oh boy. Makes movies, songs, beautiful song lyrics, and all kinds of other things, doesn't it? But it's all about unstable love. If it always has to have an object and it always has to have a reason, then it's unstable because the object can change and the reason can always change. See, there's, there's so many variables, isn't there? When I say unstable, what I mean? Well, I mentioned earlier, you can love something a little or a lot. I mean, the first time you taste something, you might like it a little bit, and the more you eat it, you might learn to love it. You know, I mean, so love, human love in that respect that we're talking about can vary as far as degree or intensity. You know, I I love cherry pie, but I don't love it as much as I do coconut pie. You know, and we could all go through lists of things. See what I'm saying? But you know what? You get older, you get to liking things, some other things that you love them more than you love others. It changes. We change. That's all due to sin. And then we have the time element that fits in. We've all probably bought new cars, haven't we? Man, you get that thing that's brand new and shiny, and you got that new car smell, you love that thing, don't you? couple years down the road, it's got a few dings in it, don't smell that way anymore, it needs to be cleaned up, needs to be washed. You don't love it like you used to. You know, that, that, again, that's who we are. It's sin that makes us this way. I'm just giving you the reality of it, you know. So over time, the love diminishes, doesn't it? And sadly, when we bring it down to human beings, this is where a lot of marriages fail, you know. 
Men and women both marry for so many different reasons and they call it love. A lot of it's lust and a lot of it's something else and money and everything else. But, you know, over time, the object doesn't stay the same, does it? We age. We don't, none of us, if all of us brought our wedding pictures in here now, we wouldn't look nothing like we did then, did we? You know? And people say, well, you, you don't look like you did, so I don't love you anymore. You know? You don't act like you did. I don't love you anymore. You know? I mean, and divorce courts are full of that, right? Well, we just we just don't love each other. You know? I mean, so love just a fluctuating thing, just flop, just becomes nothing. So unstable, the new replaces the old, and people love the new and do away with the old. So finally, my final analysis here is then love as we know it is very impure and very imperfect because it always has to have an object, it always has to have a reason, and those things can fluctuate and therefore it's unstable. It's not saying much for love is among sinners, is it? Well, that's what we know until we come to the Bible. And God teaches us about love. You know, they we've always heard the deal about there was an old song about the book of love. Well, I don't know what book that song was referring to, that old song, but the Bible is the book on love. For the simple reason that the Bible says God is love. And that in and of itself, if I stopped right there, is more than you can comprehend or absorb. How long have you known that? I've known that for years, ever since I was a little bitty kid in Sunday school. And I still don't understand it. God is love. I mean, if you want to talk about love, you've got to start with God. You can't start with Adam and Eve. You've got to start with God. Let, let's read that again, shall we? It's refreshing. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. That tells us origin. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, this is distinguishing John is the real love as defined by God with the love that I just described previously with the world and sinners. And that one is so shallow, so inadequate, so so able to wrap your hands around and then we come to the ocean of God's love. One's a duck puddle and the other's ocean. Now we are not love. I'll, I'll just, let's just get that concept. God is love, but we're not love. We don't define love. He defines love. Love didn't start with the creature. It started with the Creator. The very being of God is love. Your very being, my very being, is sin. Opposites in that regard. So, God is love tells us of the virtue of God, the being of God, and that it is a pure and perfect attribute of God. So you don't look at things in nature... You don't look at things in creation to define love. You look at the person of, in the beginning, God. He is love. 
So I say to you again, He is the origin and He is the definition of what love is. That is a fact. And to emphasize the point, God is love without any object. It's just who He is. I know we're swimming in deep water here. You know, I know you believe what I'm saying, but I know you like me, we don't absorb it. But man, let's, let's grab for all we can get, shall we? God's love needs no object because He is love. However, His love is manifested when it has an object. And that is what He has told us in His Word. He has objects of His love. And that's where the only place we can go to to see the love of God. It's like the sun. You could believe it's out there, but if it's not shining... If you don't see the sunlight, you're not going to see the manifestation of its presence, are you? So, not like mankind where you've got to have an object, God would be love without any object. God's the same regardless. He's love. He was love before He created. He's love after He created. He is love before the fall. He's love after the fall. He'll always be love. And then it says, and we come to the adverb concerning Israel, concerning sinners, concerning any sinner or anybody He loves. He loved them. I will love them freely. And that means one thing. Without any reason whatsoever. Now again, another mind boggler to stumble over. How can that be? Can there even be such a thing? To our minds, no, because everything we know, everything we love, and everything we see everybody else love has an object and a reason for loving that object. It's pretty, it tastes good, it feels good, it whatever. Not so with God. This is what defines loved freely. No reason. God didn't love because He was attracted to anything. God didn't love because He wanted something. He had everything. He is the essence of everything. God didn't love in order to take pleasure in something that He had never experienced. No. You see... You see the vast difference between the human and God's love? Freely means, as we often say and don't understand again, no strings attached. I will love them freely. I'm going to manifest my love. I'm going to dispense my love for no reason other than I want to. Now you and I have never loved anything just out of want to. There's been a want to, but it's a want to for... The reason, or reasons, whatever it be. But this is what it means, literally. Think about it. Meditate on it. No attraction, no desire, no desire for gratification, no desire for seeking happiness or satisfaction or some unfulfilled fulfillment. None of that. He just loved freely. Now on the other hand, you might say, well... It was freely 
but it was out of sympathy. No. Freely means no pity, no sympathy, nothing. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people believe that, and I want to clarify that. A lot of people think that, well, God is love, so when Adam sinned, it just, it just broke poor God's heart, and out of pity, he, he... Read the Bible, will you? And don't listen to that garbage that people want to bring God down here and make a man out of Him like stuff like... God's not emotional. Don't put emotions to God. And that's what people do about you know breaking God's heart. I don't, I don't, I don't go there. I don't use that term. I can't, I can't tell you what it means to break God's heart because I can't find it in God's Word. Okay, we have to use human terms to God because we don't have a language that we can apply to God. Maybe when we get in heaven, we'll be in a different language, and you know, we'll, we'll, it'll be different. But here, it's not. So His love and the manifestation of that love is completely of His own voluntary free will and accord according to His own good pleasure and it adds nothing to the being of God. It doesn't make God bigger. It doesn't... It doesn't he's God regardless. He's love regardless. I mean, how do you illustrate this? I mean... I. I got a bottle of water here. Let's just suppose I decide I want to empty this bottle. I take the lid off of here and I stand here before you and I pour this water out. I poured it out because I wanted to, not to get that spot on the ground wet. You see you see the difference? I had no intention. I had no thought of water of getting the ground wet. My thought is just emptying the bottle. I just freely poured it out because I wanted to. I, I don't know if that's an illustration or not, but God just freely loves. He does it with purpose, but it's an absolute free voluntary act in and of Himself and on His own for no reason whatsoever. That's about as good as I can do with that. Let's press on. His love, Him being love, and His loving freely is a stable love. Stable. Stable meaning the same. Always. Same in what? Degree. Whereas we can grow in love, literally, you can. I mean, even a loving person, that's a real deal. You can love somebody more over time than you did when you first loved them. Not that you didn't love them, but you learned to love them more. And if you got the right kind of love, that's exactly what will happen in a marital relationship. Just like when the Lord saved you, you loved Him, you started loving Him there, but you love Him more and more as time goes on. That's just You just have a greater appreciation as you grow and mature on anything. That's natural. But the Lord has always loved us and His objects with the same degree. Again, unfathomable to your mind, isn't it? If you could put a number on how much God loves you today, 
He loved you that much since there's been God. And if you want to contemplate whether He's going to love you tomorrow or in eternity, it'll still be the same. He can't love you anymore because He's already loved you all that's possible because God is love. I mean, it's maxed out if, you can, if I can use language, and I'm using inadequate language. That's a wonderful thought. I hope it's a thought that's precious to you today. To know that God loves me today the same as He's always loved. Well, what about when I was... He still loved you then. What about when I was... He loved you then. If He loves you now, He loved you then. When Paul was murdering Christians, He loved him. Whatever sin, whatever you've been into, whatever depth that it was, if God loves you today, He loved you then. He didn't love what you were doing. He didn't love your sin. He never will, never has. But He loved you. And that is something that will never change. In fact, God's love is the most stable thing there is because anything associated with God is stable. Time has no bearing. Like human love. He don't get tired of loving you. He don't get tired of putting up with you. We do that with each other at times, don't we? I'm tired of you doing this. I'm, you know, this, this is, you know, I don't care as much for this because I don't care for that old car because it's breaking down all the time, you know, or whatever. But God's love is stable in degree, in time, in circumstances, etc. The fellowship may change, the relationship never changes. And that's because, of course, God is immutable. Immutable. James 1.17 says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It's always the same. Always stable. Malachi 1, or Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. God, God doesn't change in being or in any of His attributes. He is immutable. Doesn't isn't fickle with his, and it's not inappropriate to say feelings because we have feelings and emotions. But God is not fickle in that regard. And one of the most precious things about the stability of God's love is, and I didn't quote the scripture, but I said it. But it's in Jeremiah thirty-one and three. Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now it's very sad, isn't it? God knows, none of us will even be, could even come close. How many people have told other people, I'll love you always, or I'll love you forever? What percentage do you think has been true? I would not hesitate to say more of those statements have been lies than truth, just by human nature. And people not knowing what love is, that it's a commitment, not a feeling. Not an emotion. 
not a gimme. An everlasting love. Again, I say to you, chew on that, not just now, but when you leave here. If you're a child of God, that God has always loved you. He loves you just as much today and He's always going to love you. And nothing, again, I'm not encouraging sin, but nothing you do will ever change that. He will love you in spite of your sin. And just remember what it says, because He loves you, you're going to get a good whooping when you do sin. That's proof of His love according to Hebrews. His love is constant and persevering. Let me, let me read a precious scripture to you before we wrap this up. I know you know it. Let me remind you. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Just in case you've got some what ifs in your mind. This was anticipated obviously and the Holy Spirit answers all of that through the Apostle Paul. What shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8.35 Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. And I'll just summarize, say the devil in all hell and all power in hell is what he's referring to there. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If there is anything that is concrete and secure, it is God's love to His people. That Those verses prove it. Therefore, God's love is absolutely pure and absolutely perfect. And I don't know what to say on that except it can't be improved upon. It's the best there can be. It can't be any more than what it is. Now you and I work on our love and in manifesting that love and in cultivating that love because we're sinners. God doesn't have to do that. It was perfect from the get-and-go. It is as pure as pure can be because it comes from the very essence of the being of God Himself. I just stand in awe thinking about God's love. Freely. The nature of it. And the final thing I want to say about it is the purity and perfection of it is manifested in that whereas human love takes... God's love is sacrificial. Pure love, perfect love, the best form of love gives. I hope you've learned that by now. I hope you've learned that in marriage. I hope you've learned that in relationships. I hope you've learned that as Christians. Again, that's the other side, the flip side that I always tell people at, at weddings. If you go into this relationship with a love that you're in it for yourself... And I love this person because of what they do for me. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. 
There is a love that supersedes that and it comes from God's and it says, I love because I want to do for you, not because I want you to do for me. That's the difference, folks. That's the bottom line. If you heard nothing I said, if you get that line right there, you know more about love than most people will ever know in a lifetime. That's God's love. Let me put it to you bluntly. It's very simply. You know it. More unbelievers know it than anything else in the Bible probably. For God so loved, He gave. Stop right there. That's God is love. That's real love. That's pure love. That's perfect love. That's stable love. That's love freely. God loved, God manifested His love by giving His only begotten Son, not out of pity, not out of sympathy, not out of desire, not out of a reason, not to be something He wasn't. God just did it. That's the manifestation of His love. Freely bestowed for the benefit of the object, not for the benefit of the giver. Now, I want to insert something else here I didn't say on human love. A lot of people will manifest love humanly by giving, but they're giving so they can take. That's the ultimate deception. Oh yeah, I love you and I'm giving you this, but it's with an expectation of something else or something better. You know what I mean? Whether it's a business deal or whatever it is. Not God. Can I read you a scripture too and we'll wrap this up? 1 John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Companion scripture to John 3.16 I read to you this morning in the opening service, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He bestowed, poured it out freely, no obligation. In John chapter 10, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. There's the sacrificial giving again. And love, and God's love is manifested in that simple fact of giving Christ to die for unworthy sinners. There is, and I will mention this just in closing, there is only one restriction and one limitation to God's love. And that is, He does not love all creatures, all persons the same. Malachi, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Children of Israel, in fact I'll throw them in here quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 8. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people of himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. You see, one thing in there, without reason. Again, got that? No reason. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 2, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. 
God decides whom He will love. He's under no obligation. And again I say, if He were under obligation, it wouldn't be freely loved. He couldn't love freely. It would be obligation. However, Romans 9 tells us about that. And this is the last scripture I'll read to you. Romans chapter 9, verse 13, As it is written, Jacob, I loved Esau, have I hated the quote from Malachi. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? In other words, is that fair for God to love one person and not love everybody? Most people answer that and say, that's not fair. Scripture says different. What shall we say? Is there unrighteousness with God or is God doing wrong by loving Jacob and not loving Esau? God forbid. That's the biblical answer. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. It's of God that showeth mercy. There again, freely. I am free. And the scripture says in another place, Cannot I do what I will with my own? Freely. Verse 18, it repeats it. Mercy on whom I have mercy, whom we will it harden. So that's the only restriction or limitation there is on God's love and that it is not universal unto salvation. And I will not hesitate to say to you that if God loved every human being the same, as the Scripture proclaims in Christ, then everybody's going to be saved. And that's not true because the Bible makes it clear not all are going to be saved. And the Bible makes it very clear that He loves those the Father gave Him. Not everybody. People fly in the face of this, but again, read Psalms 14, read Psalms 53. God loved when there was nothing lovable in anybody. He looked down. There's nobody lovable. Conclude. I'm not going to ask you today if you love God. That's not my concern. I've had more people tell me how much they love God and they didn't more love God than they loved an anthill. Their actions proved it. But the question I want to ask you is, does God love you? Don't base eternity on what you feel or what you think. But let's get down to where the rubber meets the road and ask ourselves, am I freely loved of Him? That's the pertinent question. And don't answer it with wishfulness. Be honest with yourself. Can you do that? You might be asking, somebody might be thinking, somebody might hear this at a future time and say, well, how can I know that God loves me? Well, the Bible says He loves those that obey the gospel and come to Him with a broken and contrite heart. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you repented and believed upon His Son for the remission of your sins? 
That's the only validation for God's love. That's the only validation for your profession. That's the only validation for you being a Christian. Because Scripture says the sheep will hear the Savior's voice and they will come and they will obey and they will repent and believe and follow. The only way you know God loves you is if you believe that God sent Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, to die on Calvary's cross for you. And you are the only one that you can know anything about. You'll never know whether He died for me or anybody else in this building. You can only know for you. Faith is personal. And my faith is personal. I believe with all my heart, mind, body, and soul that God loved me from the beginning. He loves me today and the manifestation of that love is He showed me that I was a sinner in need of salvation and He provided that salvation in sending His only begotten Son. And I believe that. And if that won't hold up, nothing will. But that's where I stand. Loved freely. No reason. Unlovable. Not out of pity. Not sympathy. Freely, voluntarily, abundantly, immutably, eternally. Praise God.